Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Breakfast Show on Faith FM. We're about to have our Bible study. We've got an amazing Bible study today. Revelation 14, verse 8 is our central uh, verse that we're going to be looking at, who and what is Babylon. So this is going to be an interesting, controversial one. So get ready to give us a call and share your thoughts. We would love to hear your thoughts on this passage. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8. Let's go there. Many Mm-hmm. Then Read another. Oh, yep. So then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, "Babylon is fallen! That great city is fallen, because she has made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality." Okay, so passionate immorality. Mm. That's just not any mild level of immorality. This is full blown, full yes. scale immorality that we are talking about right here. Let's um, let's think about this for a moment. Here the Bible says that Babylon is fallen. Now, of course, when this was written, Babylon didn't exist. Mm. By the time you come through to the first century, Babylon was a hamlet with a few huts in it and that was all. And by the end of that century, it had completely vanished and there was nothing there at all. And from then until now, it's just been desert. Yes. As a city, it hadn't existed for a couple of hundred years. Mm. Which is really bizarre when you think about the fact that this was, this had been the greatest city the world had ever seen. Yeah, huge world empire. In its heyday, it was three times bigger than any city that existed in the first century. Interesting. Which is how, like, how big would that have been, like, people-wise? Yeah, I'm not really sure, but it was, even by today's standards, we would still call it a city. A big city, okay. We're not going to call this a town, we're Mm going to call this a city. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so it had an outer wall. I think the outer, outer, outer wall was like 102 kilometers or something or other. Uh, so, you know, this is a decent sized city. Mm. This was three times the size of Rome. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Interesting. You know, or Corinth. Yeah. Which are both big, big, big first century cities. Mm. And, but by the first century, it's like 20 people living there. By the end of that century, nobody's living there. Yeah. Nobody's lived there ever since. You know, Americans, the Americans set up a base beside it, but nobody's ever lived there. Mm. You know, yeah. I mean, people lived in the base, but they were beside it, and it was just a base. You know, a base is one of those things that it's kind of like a camp. You call it a camp it's because <laughs> you're not you're not starting a city. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know something I really like about this, which just popped into my head as we were reading, which is probably not the direction you're going to go with this, but so. We know from like the prophecies in Daniel specifically that yes. this would happen, that it was a great kingdom, that it was going to lose its kingdomness. You know, we, we knew this. Mm-hmm. What it's I love, <laughs> yeah, nice and uh, eloquent of me. Um, <laughs> what I love though is King Nebuchadnezzar, who has this dream, he is still someone that God pursues. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So just because the kingdom is going to fall doesn't mean God isn't still seeking the people in it. That's right. And I just think that. I still read this oh, verse. Oh, there's a huge object lesson right there right? for this verse. Exactly. Because of what it says in Revelation 18 and verse 4, right? Yeah, do you see what I'm saying? You were going to 18 verse 4, weren't you? I wouldn't have known those numbers, but... <laughs> <laughs> Go to 18 verse 4. Let's Go read to, it, let's uh, read it. Give 18 verse 4 a little bit of context by giving us verse 1 and 2. Okay, so, after all this, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority, and the earth grew bright and his with his splendor. He gave a mighty shout, Babylon is fallen, that great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture and every foul and dreadful animal. So this is not a great place. No, no. Um, Verse 4. 
Then I heard another voice calling from heaven. Come away from her. Yeah, there's a come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins or you will be punished with her. My translation says come out. Yeah, okay. So we have to ask ourselves then the question because these are end time passages. Mm. Where are God's people at the end of time? Some of them are still in this place. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, where was Nebuchadnezzar? He was in Babylon. He was mm-hmm. a part of Babylon. He was the ruler of Babylon. Yeah. And God never stopped pursuing him just because oh, I'm just I'm just yeah. I'm just running it's with good, what right? you were saying. It's good. And so, so God doesn't stop pursuing Nebuchadnezzar even though, you know, he's not Jewish, he's not Hebrew, he's not mm-hmm. anything like that. He's not a follower of God. God is pursuing pursu- he's the he is a psychopathic ruler of <laughs> a yeah. horrific world empire. Yes. And God is pursuing him and God wins him. Yes. Uh, and he, you know, with somebody we will meet in heaven one day and mm-hmm. be able to have a conversation with, which is going to be amazing. Definitely, definitely in my top ten list. Yeah. Um, and and so if you look at ancient Babylon, where was God's people in Babylon? Exactly. Look at modern Babylon, where are God's people in Babylon? Mm-hmm. Look at ancient Babylon. What did God do? Well, God arranged a decree called the decree of Cyrus, which said, "Come out of her, my people." Mm, yes. Go to modern Babylon. What do we have? We have a decree from the anti the, the type of Cyrus, which is Jesus Christ, because they're type and anti-type, mm-hmm. which is come out of her, my people. Exactly. Oh, something chills up and down my spine. I'm going to put this in my book. I've never thought of this before. This is you're just- writing a book. Uh, yeah. Ah, interesting. <laughs> maybe that was one a day. Sneaky in- little uh, insert there. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day in twenty years' time. No, I was just reading that because I mean I think I said this the other day as we were reading um, one of the passages. I was saying Revelation is absolutely about Jesus Christ, but there, when we just read it just as it is, it can be like, "Whoo, this is heavy. This is big," and it is, and that's important. But just as I was reading, I was like, yeah, but this is also so beautiful. Like this is literally the heart of a good God who's going, I'm going to tell you all the information you can possibly have to know that this is going to happen, to know that this is what will be. But the message is you can still come. Like the fact that you're there doesn't like cut you off. It's like, oh, well, you made your choices. You're there now. No, no, no. God is still like, I'm giving you this so you can know, you can see the things and I still want you to have the choice. That's amazing. Yeah. This is like so good. God is just so good to us. All right. Now that we went down that Yeah, I went down a full little sidetrack. <laughs> Let me go back to where what, what was I what was I, Okay, here's what I, here's, the, here's where I was originally going to go. Let's think about this. All right. Um, let me let me let me make a segue with what with with, with your rabbit hole because okay. it was a very good one. Whereabouts are God's people? They're in Babylon, right? Yes. These are not Satan's people. No. These are God's people. God's people are people who are followers of God. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So followers of God are what we call Christians. Uh Uh-huh. So then the conclusion would be, this is a bit scary, the conclusion would be that Christians are in Babylon. Uh This prophecy is about Christians. Yes. It's not about... You know, people of other faiths or of no faith. This prophecy is about Christians. Yeah. And there's a prophecy that says that Christians are in Babylon. Okay, so we've got to stop and ask ourselves the question, where are we? Mm. Because it's no good if it's not relevant for us. Now, having said that, let me tell you about a lot of Christians that I meet, and I'm sure you've met a whole bunch yourself that believe in God, believe in Jesus Christ, and will have nothing to do with church. 
Oh, yeah. So yeah. many. And why will they have nothing to do with church? Because of the corruption they see, because of the humanity they see, because of the hypocrisy they see. Uh, you can make a fairly long list. Mm. Then I meet a, meet a whole bunch of other people that sort of are like, why on earth would you ever be a Christian? Mm. Haven't you seen what Christians do? Haven't you ever just flicked your TV on on a Sunday morning you see these Christians who are dripping with gold and wealth and fleecing people out of their money left, right and centre and gullible people are just selling their houses and giving them to them and uh, you know all of this kind of thing is taking place and, and secular people just shake their heads and like, why would you do that? Mm. These people are so obviously corrupt. Like so incredibly obviously corrupt. Yes. And why would we have anything to do with religion? Well, my answer is it's the end of time. What else would you expect Christianity to look like at the end of time? Mm. The Bible says at the end of time Christianity would be obviously corrupt. Yeah, yeah, this is a good point. If it wasn't obviously corrupt, it wouldn't be the end of time and Bible prophecy wouldn't be accurate and we couldn't trust the Bible. Mm. We should expect the majority of Christianity in our day to be obviously, blatantly corrupt, to be fleecing people out of their money left, right and centre, to be big business, to be selling salvation, um, to have no care, no interest in doctrinal truth. Yeah, it's an interesting. it's interesting when you read this and it's like, you know, people come to me like, oh, yeah, who would have anything to do with Christianity? Have you seen what Christians do? I'm like, yeah, that's what the Bible said Christians would be mm. doing at the end of time. That's why I'm a Christian. <laughs> I think it is hard on a human and emotional level, though, when I don't know if you do this, but I definitely have had conversations with people where we're like, why can't we be better, though? Like, do, And it's like the tension between the faith in the Word of God to be like, yeah, absolutely, we know this. That, this is a great message. The fact that it's happening as you said, means we can trust the Bible, means that prophecy is true, all these amazing things. The human nature in us is just like, but why can't we just be better? We don't have to be these things. And it's like, yeah, but not that God forces that at all. No. God does ma- that make that known to us. He just, know, tells, he just knows what it's going to be like. Yeah, at the end exactly. Of time. Whereas we're just like, no, no, no. But <laughs> if we just did the things, if we just like all really truly pursued Jesus, and God has his people, absolutely. But yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I always have this uh, natural inclination to defend Christianity. Yes, I <laughs> You know, somebody, I meet somebody and, they, and they're like, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, and I start to attack Christianity. My initial, def- my, my initial reaction is always to defend Christianity. You're like, no, not all Christians are like that. You know, there's some good Christians out there and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas why should I be defending Christianity? The Bible says Christianity at the end of time, vast majority of Christianity, and I'm not talking about Christians. Mm. Bible says the vast majority of Christianity is Babylon. Yeah, and we need to come out of her. Yeah. Um, okay, so there are there are there some churches that are that have better people in them than others. I feel like this is a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> I was Look, careful I think, careful how I worded that. No, I, I no, there is that, not. No. There is not some churches that have better people than no. others. Um, you don't go to a church because, well, this church has better people than that church. No. The purpose of church is for broken people. That's why it's there. That's why it exists. You don't have churches in it that, are, you know, some churches are more saved than others. You don't have some that are more righteous than others. No. You don't have any of that. What you've got is 
broken, sinful human beings that are all in the, all of them that are in the in, in need of the grace of God. Yeah, that's what you do have, and um, we need to remember that what you do have that is really the only basis on which you should choose a church is you do have different messages. And I was going to say that's where that's I think the there's key. a difference. You you yes. might have people who are more willing to go, hey, let's dig into the Word of God. Like, you know, how can we trust it if we don't even know what it says? That's right. Do you know what I mean? Like the fact that the Bible does talk about this, if you don't know that, you're like, of course we can be, you know. It's like, no, no, we need to. So you might have a group of people who are more willing to do that. Yes. As opposed to people who are like, oh, but we know. Like I could have all of my beliefs and not read the Bible at all, which I'm not saying that you don't have a faith in Jesus. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that this is the word of God. You know? That's like, right. Absolutely. And I think and, if we have and, opportunity... And, we, and this is, the verse that we're reading right now, is the everlasting gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Your three angels' messages, the Bible says they are an expression of the everlasting gospel. Mm. And so you've got to ask yourself the question, okay, is my church pre- preaching the everlasting gospel? Is it preaching the three angels' messages? Mm. That's a really, really important point. Okay, Revelation chapter 17. We're going to uh, take a little bit of a, a – well, we're, we're going to expand this same thought a little bit further because we've found so far the Bible says that God's people are in Babylon and we know that God's people are Christians. Mm. And so therefore we would see that Babylon would be Christian churches. Do mm. we have anything to base it on? Let's go to Revelation chapter 17 verse 1, please. So one of the seven angels who had poured out of the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who who rules over many waters. Okay, so here you have the symbol of a woman, right? Mm. What does a woman symbolize in Bible prophecy? Church. A church, absolutely. Uh, What kind of a woman is she? This is a very immoral one. A very immoral woman, so you have a very then immoral what? Church. Okay, so the Bible says... Uh, oh, okay, let's find out what her name is. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you read for us verse 5? What is her name? So a mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. Okay, so uh, this particular woman, woman is a symbol of a church, an incredibly immoral woman, therefore an incredibly immoral church, and guess what the Bible calls her? Babylon. Mm. So when you go to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8, what is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying that there's going to be a very immoral church yes. at the end of time that is that has you know has a moral fall. And so we should expect tremendous levels of corruption within Christianity today. And when we see those levels of corruption, we shouldn't try and defend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we should hold our heads up and say, yes, absolutely, that exists. We get it. Hmm. And the fact that it exists is a demonstration of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Mm. That Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. Uh, The Bible says that that would, you know, and it's kind of like a bit of a repeat of what happened in the time of Christ because in the time of Christ, you know, you had a very righteous, um, you know, a very righteous church, I guess, in the time of you know Ezra and Nehemiah and so forth and great revivals that take place. But by the time you get down to the time of Christ, God's church has become incredibly corrupt. It's all about making money. 
Mm. You know, Jesus, there's a reason why Jesus goes into the temple and turns over the tables of the money changers. You know, if I was Jesus back in the day, or if I was one of the disciples back in the day, it's probably a better comparison. And people came to me and attacked the Jewish religion because it's corrupt. My initial reaction would be to defend it. Mm-hmm. But it was corrupt. Yeah. And Jesus did go into the temple and turn over the tables of the money money changers and drive out everybody who was there selling salvation. <laughs> yeah. You know, selling the prosperity gospel because that was exactly what it was all about. And this is what Babylon is all about. Babylon is all about the prosperity gospel. Uh, if you go to Revelation chapter 18, uh, the Bible, yeah, let's read about Oh, let's go down to Revelation 18. Revelation 18. Oh, where is it? Verse 15. Just start reading from verse 15. Okie dokie. So it says... This is about Babylon. This is about God's church at the end of time. Yes, so it says, The merchants became wealthy by selling her these things, uh, will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will weep and cry out, how terrible, how terrible for that great city. She was clothed in finest purple and scarlet linens, decked out with gold and precious stones. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And we are getting back into our Bible study where we're looking at the subject of who and what is Babylon. We have found so far that Babylon is a symbol of a church and we were in Revelation chapter 18 reading about what it would be like in God's church at the end of time. Let's, 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 let's pick those verses up and read them again. Yep, so the same ones, 15 and 16? Or just yeah, keep going. Okay, yeah cool. just the same ones. Yeah, okay, so... Um, this, is, this is talking, sorry, just to give, give this some context. Mm. This is talking about what has happened to Babylon when Babylon falls completely and disintegrates at the end of time. Mm. So just before the return of Christ, the Bible says that the whole system is going to be seen for just how corrupt it is and it's going to collapse in on itself and it's going to implode. Mm-hmm. Violently implode. Yep. <laughs> and when it does violently implode, this is what you got. Yeah. Okay. So Revelation eighteen verse fifteen says, "The merchants who become wealthy, who became wealthy by selling her these things, will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will weep and cry out, how terrible, how terrible for that great city. She was clothed in finest purple and scarlet linens. Okay. Listen to this bit. Listen to this bit." Decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls. Uh-huh. In a single moment, all the wealth of the city is gone. And all the captains of the merchant ships and their passengers and sailors and crews will stand at a distance. Keep going. Yep. Um, they will cry out as they watch the smoke ascend. And they will say, where, where is there another great, wait, another city as great as this? And they will weep and throw dust on their heads to show their grief. And they will cry out, how terrible, how terrible for that great city. The ship owners became wealthy by transporting her great wealth on the seas. In a single moment, it is all gone. There you go. You, you, can, you, can, you continue to read on, but this is, this is mm. the prosperity gospel right here. Yeah. It's the end of the prosperity gospel because people have seen it for its corruption. In fact, if you go over to uh, Revelation chapter 17, you can read about it there in the end of the chapter, uh, verse 16 and 17. The scarlet beast and his ten horns all hate the prostitute. They will strip her naked, eat her flesh, and burn her remains with fire. That's a pretty violent reaction against Babylon. The the great prostitute here, as we mentioned, that's a very, very violent reaction against Babylon. And 
there is a lot more to Babylon, obviously, than the prosperity gospel. I'm just honing in on that one because there's like half of Revelation chapter 18 focuses on it. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's a major theme right here, and it's a major ev- effect that we have happening in our world right now Absolutely. where religion has become big business. Mm. You know what the largest industry sector in the United States is? It's religion. Interesting. It's the largest contributor to the economy in the United States. It's not oil. It's not IT. It's religion. My brain is exploding. <laughs> That's crazy, yeah. I think. Wow. Yep. yep. And Australia, as secular as it is, is yeah. not far behind it. That surprises me, actually. Yeah. Because I don't look at Australia at all as a religious country. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And you're right, you're right. Like, because I know um, a lot of non Christians who that is one of their gripes with it. Because I don't know when they would watch it because they definitely try to stick clear of Christian things. But they've said, they've said, you know, so and so was watching a thing and I looked and all I see is the guy up the front who's wearing the flashiest, like, the however many hundred dollar shoes, the this, the this, the, you know, driving the amazing car, whatever. And it's like, and I know there are people in that audience who are struggling. You know, that's and, right. it's, and for them, that's that's one of their gripes. Is you know, there are other things, but they're like, nah, that's that's a corrupt thing. And as you said before, you want to go defend it, but it's also that's something I won't defend. I'm like, no, I I agree. I will never defend that. You know, yeah. when 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 one of these American TV evangelists stands up and makes a massive appeal for his third private jet. You know, seriously, can you fly in three private jets at the same time? Negative. <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, it just it just it just does your head in. Yeah, I mean you've got you've got um, you've got television evangelists in the United States mm. that don't just own a fleet of private jets. They own their entire airfield, complete with control tower no. staff, everything. What hangars? Um, you know everything that an airline would own. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That is very excessive. Preachers own that kind of stuff. You know, you see, how big of a difference is that, right? We're preaching Jesus and yet Jesus, like, is born in this nothing place. Jesus, when he died, Mm. owned a bed sheet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. Yep. Because they couldn't divide it up because, you know, normally they would divide up the material just down the seams. Mm. It had no seams. It had no seams. It was a bed sheet. Yeah. That, That was what Jesus owned. Yeah. But, I mean, if we're looking at that saying, this is the God we serve. It's a big contrast there, isn't there's it? There's a big contrast. Uh-huh. Mm. Uh-huh. Okay, so the Bible says Babylon is fallen. A couple of interesting points that we can uh, draw out. If you look at Babylon in Revelation chapter 17, it is very much a description of uh, the dominant church through the Dark Ages, mm-hmm. which basically became the, you know, the, the Church of the Dark Ages, um, which was the Roman Catholic Church, became the... Basically, the, the the Pope stepped into the into the vacuum left by the emperors, mm-hmm. and the Bible gives a very good description of that. Uh, and that was a church that was, you know, because they they, they stepped into the a place that was vacated by the emperors. That's obviously completely against scripture. Um, they stepped into a position of wealth and power back then, you know. So you could say, well, it's kind of never changed. Um, and so we're like, okay, we understand that, we get that, that's how it happened, we understand the history of what formed there. But then we had the Reformation mm-hmm. of the 16th century. When the Reformation of the 16th century, it was like, no, we're better than that. We're Christians, we can do things better than that. 
But what you've, what you've got happening at the end of time is in Revelation 14 and verse 8, it says Babylon is fallen. You can't fall if you're at rock bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Absolutely. So in chapter 17, Babylon is not fallen in Revelation 17. It starts at rock bottom. Mm. You know, it's drunk with the blood of the saints and, you know, we know the history of the persecution that took place during that era. That is not what it's talking about. Revelation 17, Babylon, is not what's being talk- spoken about in Revelation 18 verse 4. Mm. It's talking about Babylon. It's talking about God's people that know better. Mm. Mm. Yep. It's talking about God's people that know better and have got greedy, and because of their greed, they have suffered a moral fall. And this is actually really important. Like, so I'm reading First Samuel from my devotions. Yes. And I've just um, this week been reading the story about how this is kind of where Saul starts to get a bit undone. So he starts to make choices where it's like, okay, go and um, destroy this group of people because there's a whole bunch going on wrong. Everything, including you know, like the oxen, the sheep, the did all the things. Anyway. He doesn't do that. He wants to keep that. And when Samuel comes, he says, "Why?" He says, oh no, 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 it's, it's for sacrifices for God. And then it's just this kind of progression of Saul consistently being like, "No, no, no, but but I want to follow God, but I also wanted to get this loot. I also wanted the things. I also wanted what I wanted. Simultaneously following God, but not doing the thing God wants me to do. Right? Yep. There's that tension. He wants both. That's right. And I think we have that in as Christians that we see like. There are Christians who sincerely, and I know I've been in this place, sincerely want to know Jesus, sincerely want to, but also I don't want to give up this. I actually really like my greed, or I really like my did you know, whatever the thing is. I can't remember where I was going with that, but uh, you said something. You said That's something right. It's, 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 a, it's a great thought, and I think it's very relevant for us. I think this, uh, I think this particular Bible study is a pretty heavy study. Mm. Because, okay, yeah, we, we get to sit here on radio and, and, uh, and, and pontificate and talk about, well, this church and that church and the other church, church, church of the dark ages, the prosperity gospel of today, etc., etc., etc. But the long and the short of it is we need to, the purpose of this Bible study is so that you and I and us mm. can take a long, hard look at ourselves. Search our hearts, yeah. And search our hearts, find out where we are with God. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is now time for Question of the Day. Okay, many question of the day. What do we got? Okay, so okay. Why why the, did God allow? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Why did God allow the Holocaust? Yeah. I just had a moment of forgetting that. But yeah, why there are some stories in the Bible we can kind of see that there was a purpose behind it. Yes. Why the Holocaust? Okay, so there's a, there's a number of there's a number of um, aspects to this to mm. this answer. First of all, there doesn't have to be a specific purpose for it. Mm. There are a bunch of Holocaust. Why, why allow the Holocaust in Rwanda? Yeah, or the genocide in Rwanda, I should say. Um, I guess you could describe it as a Holocaust, but it's just sort of one that took place, you know, within my memory. Um, so, you know, why allow any of these kind of things? And the big question that comes about from that is why allow sin? Hmm. So ultimately the Holocaust was as the result of sin, so why allow sin if the Holocaust is going to happen at some particular point? God allows sin to exist because God allows the power of choice to exist. Hmm. God allows the power of choice to exist because God is love and it is the power of choice that creates the possibility and the existence of love. Without the power of choice, there is no such thing as love. 
just does not exist. And so by allowing the power of choice to exist, God has allowed the possibility of evil. By allowing the possibility of evil, sooner or later evil has come along. When evil has come along, then the natural result of that is events like the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. There's no particular reason to it other than this is the result of sin. Mm-hmm. And there doesn't need to be a particular reason. The question that goes right along with that is, okay, then why did God allow sin to exist so long that the Holocaust came? You know, God could have ended it 10 minutes after it started. Mm-hmm. Why not? And the answer for that is very simple. God, in ele- when creating the power to choose, has created the opportunity for love, but has also created the opportunity for evil. When evil comes, God wants to ensure that it will never come back again. And the only way that he can ensure that evil will never come back again and the power of choice will never, ever go is to allow evil to continue long enough so that nobody ever wants it to come back and no one will ever choose for it to come back. Mm. That way God can leave the power of choice intact in the universe forever, but sin will never come back because everybody will remember events like the Holocaust. And I think this this uh, God then allows for people to go through pain, Yes, but it also puts God in a place of immense pain. Yes. Okay, so now then there's another aspect of this question that, um, I want to speculate on a little bit. Of course, there's. we can look at the political reasons why the Holocaust came. Um, and we need to remember the Holocaust wasn't just Jewish people. Yes. Uh, yes, six million Jews died, but it was also gypsies, uh, disabled people, uh, even elderly people, and Jehovah's Witnesses who died in this event. And so it was a truly, truly horrific event. And basically from a political perspective, it was all about productivity. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Nazi idea was that if you have a massive gap between the wealthy and the poor, as in the Jews have a lot of wealth because that's their talent, that's just their thing, <laughs> um, then we're going to have less productivity, so let's kill the Jews and take their stuff. Uh, with the gypsies, of course, they were gypsies, and so they'd move from here to there and they just don't seem they didn't to... Have- they didn't appear to be profitable, um, and so that was part of the reason there. But, oh, and we are running out of time here. How do I – let me just see if I can work this and give myself some more time. Ooh, I think I can. Hey, there, there we you go. go. Nice, simple click. <laughs> <coughs> All right. So the Holocaust created the emotional will to create the State of Israel. Yeah. Okay, when you have when you have a group of people who move into another nation mm-hmm. until they reach about 30% of the population and then they decide to take over, most of the time in our world, you know, United Nations and so forth is going like, yeah, no, you can't do that. But with the state of Israel they didn't and the reason was because of the emotional um you know, how do you go against Jewish people when 6 million of them have just died? Yeah, 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 yeah. Created the emotional will for the state of Israel. There's an interesting prophecy in the Bible where the Bible says uh, at the end of time, uh, now learn a parable of the fig tree when his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. The fig tree in the Bible is a symbol of Israel. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.